The reading of God's word for us today is from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. It's uh, an excerpt of a long discourse uh, that John has on the lips of Jesus. Let us listen for God's word to us. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give will give life of the world, for the life of the world is my flesh. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread lives forever. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. So, a little over 40 years ago, I remember coming to a building that stood right behind me, just ahead of you, over here on Oak Street, where now the school parking lot is, and it was uh, the place where the Young Life office was. And uh, it may have been owned by the church then, I don't know, but I remember I was probably about 20 years old, I was home for college, and I went by the office to see uh, some of the staff there. I remember going into the office, and there on a poster were these words, bread for myself is a material question. Bread for my neighbor is a spiritual question. And that phrase haunted me as our jet approached Miami from Port-au-Prince last week. As the plane came lower and lower over South Miami, I could look out the window and see where Peggy and I used to live, where our oldest son was born, the, the, uh, the University of Miami where I would play basketball, the, the golf course I played on. I uh, could see it all down there, reminded me of home. And as I looked down, I was ambushed. I was, I was ambushed. It, it was like the artist William Pope L. said, describing his paintings, he said, I paint the cracks in the seams of who we are. And it was as if a fissure in who I was was opening up as the plane approached the runway. I was surprised by a feeling of sadness not of excitement about coming home, but of sadness about what I was re-entering. I wanted the jet to turn around and go back to Port-au-Prince. Now, I don't want you to be defensive. This is not some kind of bash America talk. No, this is more of a reflection on my part about what it may mean to eat the true bread which comes from God and leads to life, or, on the other hand, 
to ingest other diets. In the text, the Gospel of John employs a series of vivid word pictures to illustrate both who Jesus is and what he means in the life of believers. There are seven instances where these images spoken by Jesus himself in John's Gospel are preceded by the words in Greek, ego, eimi, the emphatic form of I am. Now many of John's first audience would have felt the hair rise on the back of their necks upon hearing these words, I am, because that was the divine name revealed to Moses in the burning bush. God said to Moses, I am who or that I am. Go tell the Israelites, I am has sent you to me, has sent me to you. So the divine name was and still is regarded by Jews as sacred, never to be uttered by human beings. Only God can speak that name, which is exactly John's point. So Jesus can dare to speak this way because in John he is the word of God made flesh, the one in whom God's identity is revealed, full of grace and truth. These I am sayings in John are among the highest claims about Jesus in the New Testament. And then there are a series of images. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the shepherd. I am the way or the path. I am the light. I am the bread. Just everyday objects or, or things from their daily life. John uses things from below to illustrate the truth from above in his theology. He bears witness to the unseen God through ordinary mundane things. It's a sacramental theology in which ultimate reality can be experienced every day in what we see and touch and smell and taste. The first image Jesus employs is bread, the very staff of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Bread is the essential, foundational nourishment. In Haiti, we were served bread at virtually every meal. Not seven-grain bread, not oat and nut bread, not all these fancy kinds of things, but just plain old white bread. But their real staple food is rice and beans. We had a lot of rice and beans. It'll be a long time before I will order rice and beans. Uh, But if you were lucky, you would get a little piece of goat meat with your rice and beans, and it was good. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and if you come to me, In fact, if anyone comes to me, anyone doesn't say you have to dress right, believe right, act right, do right. If you come to me, I will give you life. You will never hunger, never hunger. You'll always be filled. 
Life as an endless golden corral buffet, it seems like. Or maybe one of those casino hotel buffets. Pretty great. Seems like a free religious lunch. I think we all know that's not what Jesus meant. And our experience is obviously otherwise. We keep getting hungry. We are hungry. Hunger, like grief or loneliness or anxiety, is an individual experience unique to each of us. And yet, it is also a social and cultural phenomenon. We hunger for what it means to be truly human, to be connected in community. We hunger for forgiveness and justice, which are the essential basis for peace. We hunger for an integrating center in life, which gives meaning to all we do. The clearest evidence that we hunger is the fact that we can't observe a Sabbath. We can't ever stop. Perhaps we are hungry because we're only eating manna. You know, stuff. It rains down from the sky, it seems. It's just laying there all over. We can hardly pick it all up. We stuff it into our mouths. We, we're just eating manna. It doesn't last. And not only that, we tend to eat it alone or on the run in our cars. Let me put it another way. What we seem to seek and prize is merely material and private, and it doesn't endure. There's an Argentine-born theologian, Nancy Bedford, who coined this, uh, uh, shared this phrase from, from her native culture. Every child is born into this world with a loaf of bread under its arm. You know, and I think every child is born into this culture not just with a loaf of bread, but with more toys than an entire Haitian village, and soon after that with an iPad and a cell phone, an array of, rich, of enrichment activities which he or she must attend, and a short list of elite schools which he or she must begin to prepare to apply for. The Haitian hunger is more basic. It's for daily bread. It's for work to do. It's for occasionally access to a doctor or a teacher. It's to have clean water. It's to greet someone with a smile, to dance to music, to share joy and conversation in the shade. It's in this stark contrast between there and here, only 90 minutes wide by air, that I saw exposed in a new way my own deep hunger and my culture's 
frenetic grasping. It's vast overindulging in things that can never result in human flourishing or the flourishing of creation. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O God. Or as the prophet Jeremiah plaintively wondered in his day, why do you keep spending money on that which is not bread? The good news, Jesus said, is that, he says, I am the basic food of life that is available and endures. It is discontinuous from all the other manna-type quick-fix distractions that we are told to invest our lives in. He gives this bread freely. It is here. It is in our midst. Bread for ourselves is a material question. Bread for our neighbor is a spiritual question. And I don't think the two questions can ever be separated. At this time, I'd like to call on one of the other participants of our trip to share some of her experience. Carolyn Tuttle is going to come up and uh, share with us. Thank you, Carolyn. Bonjour. Um, Haiti has transformed my life in, in more than the ways that I'm going to talk to you about today, but um, they wouldn't all fit in the allotted, in the allotted time. So um, before we left Port-au-Prince for Mirabelay, we had the opportunity to meet Pastor Leon, who shared with us a five-finger message about how to make the best of Haiti. He told us the importance of patience, flexibility, our water bottle, hand sanitizer, and to be on the lookout for something that we could bring home from Haiti that you couldn't find in the gift shop. So today I will borrow this five-fingered approach because it worked so well with us all week to tell you how this experience has changed my life. So number one, you have to hold your fingers up with me. Number one, wastefulness. Every child who showed up to camp, as you've heard, was provided a meal, the only one that they got for probably that day. Big heaping rice and beans and a piece of goat. Um, most of the children's plates were empty, but the ones that were not would shovel their excess onto another kid's plate so that they could um, have all the food gone by the end of the day. But um, I really struggle at controlling my wastefulness, especially with food. So by the end of the trip, it had kind of rubbed off on us. We were all asking each other if they, we could finish each other's food and you know, hey, Daniel, can you finish this liver? Or would you want to try the curled chicken? I can't finish it. Um, so for number one, I am now more aware of wastefulness. Number two, friendliness. Haitians are outdoor people. Life happens outside. So each day in Mirabelay, as we walked from the cultural center to the Foncose office, um, we met everybody that lived in town along the way. And it is customary in Haiti that when you enter somebody's space or into a room, it's your job to extend the greeting. So it was our job, depending on the time of day, to say bonjour or bonsoir, and they would light up and greet us back. 
Um, by the end of the trip, we were all family and just bonjouring and bonsoiring, like everybody that would listen. And no matter if we spoke the language or not, it didn't matter. So number two, I am now more aware of friendliness. Number three, patience. Last Sunday, Bill's children's sermon illustrated the extreme patience of the children in Haiti as they waited for their turn for a stapler. I saw the same behavior from the 50, 6, 7, and 8-year-olds that I worked with. And as a middle school teacher, I'm pretty sure that I was witnessing a miracle. Uh, they were the most patient children I had ever met. Um, and if it was their turn for a craft or for food or, or anything, uh, they were extremely patient the way that we would wait in line for like a Disney ride. Uh, they, uh, in balancing two jobs myself, um, not wasting time has always been very important to me, and I don't know if I've ever been the patient, per most patient person ever, especially when it comes to things starting on time or ending late. Um, so, so number three, I, I am now trying to be more patient. Number four, my comforts. Living in Haiti was probably the most uncomfortable setting I have ever been in, and I don't know that I had any idea about how much of my life is surrounded by the comforts and, and for myself. I found myself intensely thankful for the comforts that I have, but also realized that my comforts are very excessive. I do want to be mindful of the little things, like not keeping water running, or the lights and the AC on when no one's home, or the AC at a crazy low temperature. Um, if I can survive in Haiti under those circumstances, I can certainly be mindful of the little things. So number four, I'm now more aware of my comforts. And lastly, number five, my desire to help. I am surrounded by a very generous family, and they have always led by example to give and um, up and, um, and up until now, and I've been also taught how to give. You know, they, that's part of you know growing up in the family. So, but I have not really had the conviction or um, really something that has gripped me like this to have a passion to follow through. This week, I have taken the steps necessary to make it a priority in my life, and I've also began to start thinking about other tangible ways that I can help serve with the resources that I've been given. Um, and, and plan on doing a service project with my middle school students for Fonc Jose to collect shoes and other things that they had um, expressed need for. Um, this experience has made me look at my house, my car, my stuff, everything in a whole new light. And I now have a renewed, number five, desire to help and serve. So I am very fortunate to have been invited to, um, to this experience and have been transformed in wastefulness, friendliness, patience, comforts, and my desire to help. So, merci and au revoir.